Welcome to Bridging the Gap. I am David Coleman, your host, and we're back for another wonderful podcast with a really special guest, good friend of mine. I'm going to introduce him in a minute. And for those of you who are new to the program, I developed Bridging the Gap to, if you can look behind me, uh, you can see it's the words of belief and hope and purpose and truth and love. And what Paul designed Bootleggers Music Group Radio to be is a place where we can make this world a little bit kinder, a little bit general, a bit nicer. One song, one tune, one podcast at a time, bring people a little closer to God, bring people closer to each other. And uh, today, as you can see with me, I have a uh, longtime friend, colleague, and a person I admire tremendously, Del Suggs. Welcome to Bridging the Gap. Thank you, David. It's really good to be here with you. Really is. It's, it's really going to be fun. I've been looking forward to this one ever since we, uh, both of us, between the two of us, we've probably flown around 10 million miles. I think that's probably a fair assessment. It's probably close, yeah. Probably mm -hmm. close to 10 million. And we actually ended up bumped up into first class sitting next to each other on our last flight, which was like a little extra early bonus Christmas present. But it was really nice to have that happen. Oh, it was fun. We had a good flight and it was, and it's just always a treat to, to get a chance to visit with you, David. You were, thank you, mutual. You sent me a, a bio. I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but Dell, there were things in your bio that even I don't know. Now, I would say this too. It would be tough to find anyone in the college market who has changed more lives than you. You've changed mine and countless others. You consider yourself a life hacker where you teach students to maximize their leadership skills while using the technology they love. That's remarkable. You've uh, written a book called Truly Leading Lessons in Leadership, which seventh, 14 printings later, two versions and 14 printings later, still going strong. I didn't know this about you. You earned a master's degree in instructional design and development from Florida State University. I'm assuming that's back when they were really good in football and that had to be a lot. <laughs> yeah, and they're coming back. They're coming back. They're coming now. back. They are. <laughs> some stuff that yeah, has been real high. This, you were named one of the top five performers of the last 25 years by Campus Activities Magazine. I've been blessed to be honored by them too. And to be in the yeah. same book with you, the same magazine with you is pretty special. I love this one. You have the perfect combination of skills and experience for leadership professional development. You, uh, I'm gonna let you talk about your educational background, but here's the really cool thing. You're a musician, you're a speaker, you're a philanthropist. And the topic of today's podcast is reinventing yourself. Why? Because when I was growing up and going through college and became a, a presenter and a speaker, you were doing, you were one of the top coffee house artists in the country. You'd go from campus to campus singing and people adored you. And then all of a sudden that market came to a close and you said, what am I going to do now? And not only did you say what I'm going to do now, you became one of the most awarded people as a speaker, as a trainer, as a philanthropist. Uh, how did you do that? When did you know it was time? And and how did you do it? But let's start this. Let's start with your education. Talk, talk us about how you got to where you were in the beginning. Sure. Well, you know, it's interesting. I've always had multiple interests. That's, that's you know, that's the thing. I've, I've always been one of those people that just had a lot of different interests. You know, I never knew which way I was going to go. My mother used to say, you know, you got you to gotta pick something. You know, you got to <laughs> pick something. And uh, I Thank actually ended up, uh, yeah, I graduated from Florida State with my undergraduate degree in history and critical science. But I had, I think I had four different minors because I had so many other different interests, anthropology, journalism, um, creative writing. Uh, you know, I was interested in all of those different things. And actually, when I was in, 
in college, I, I also did some magazine writing. And so I got a chance to kind of explore that thing. But at the same time I was playing music, kind of worked my way through college playing music. Um, and then after I finished that, I decided I'd, I needed to specialize some. And so I went to, a, to, to get a master's degree in higher education. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it was wonderful because I, I, um, I got to study with uh, Dr. Les Briggs and Dr. Um, Dr. Robert Gagne. And, and Gagne and Briggs are like peers of B.F. Skinner. And so it was just uh, remarkable wow. to get a chance to go through and experience that. And so when I started graduate school, I thought, well, this music stuff is that's like for kids. And that's, you know, that's that's something I should get away from. So I stopped playing altogether when I went to graduate school, focused on that, finished my master's degree. And I make, made the last semester I was in school finishing my master's degree and teaching also at Florida State in the College of Education at that time. Um, I started playing a little music locally and I just got the bug. And I just said, uh-huh. I have got to do this. And I went to a friend of mine, a mentor who was a, a business professor. Um, and uh, I've always claimed that that um, uh, James, that Jim Harrison uh, called him my, my business manager because throughout um, the rest of his life, he, he was my was was my, my strongest advisor. And I went to him and I said, I said, um, Jim, I just don't know what to do. I don't know whether I should. I had these job offers to go to the different colleges and teach in higher ed. I said, I don't know whether I should do this or or do the music because I really want to do the music. And he just looked at me and said, this is the time to do you, to do your music. You know, you're young, you have no bills, no responsibilities, right? Go out, this is the time to take the risk. He says, you know, if you, if you take a job at a school somewhere, you have car payments, you have house payments, you end up with a wife and kids, you're not going to be able to leave that and get behind and go play music. Got it. So I ended up playing music for the next, about the next 35 <laughs> years exclusively. <laughs> just 35 and, years. Uh, yeah. And, 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 but doing that in the college market. So you see, it kind of ties back in because mm-hmm. now not only am I am I playing the music that I love to do, but I'm also doing it in the field of higher education. Well, you know, so that's so when I about this. Yeah, and the more I learn about you, the more I love you. Is you know, you it would be so easy to mischaracterize or to stereotype. Oh, here's a, here's a musician traveling from school to school to school. Must not have wanted to get a job. Must not have wanted to go to school. We could have easily said that's the most well educated musician traveling the country. <laughs> it's so easy for people to go, oh, must not want to get a job, must not want to go to class, just the opposite. It, right. it was like, I, I grew up in a family, we had our summer resort, and uh, it was called Fiddleman's Resort, it was in Michigan. It opened up on Memorial Day, closed on Labor Day, and we all became a part of that environment. So when I became an adult later in life, I wanted to try to find a job where I could serve people and entertain them at the same time. And it seems like you found that same niche for you. Yeah. And that's, you know, like you, David, that's, that's what we, you know, that's, that's what we strive for. That's, that's the thing that brings us the real joy in life is to do that. And, you know, life is about finding your joy. There's this great quote from, uh, uh, from John Lennon, where um, uh, he says he wanted to, he, he got a bad grade in, in uh, <laughs> elementary school because one of his teachers asked him what he wanted to be when he grew up. And he said, I want to be happy. <laughs> and, and, you know, and, and they're like, no, no, what, what, you know, what, what job do you want? He says, I just want to be happy. And uh, I think that's, you know, we, we need to look for the things that bring us joy in life. And that's seriously, that's what I've always done. You know, I've, I've tried to follow my passion, follow my joy and do the things that, 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 that bring me joy. Dale, I'm trying to get, again, we're talking about reinventing ourselves today. And I have a feeling from COVID on, there's been some people who might not have wanted to reinvent themselves, but uh, like the founder of this station lost a multi-million dollar business. I think he'll tell you in about 16 days. 
when COVID hit, he completely lost. He's completely rebuilt it. And we're on the station because of him. What happened? What do you remember the moment, the day? Do you remember a period of time leading up to you going, okay, the music industry is not what it once was. People aren't bringing people like me to campuses anymore. Uh, might be time for act two. Number one, do you remember that? And number two, do you remember the steps you went through to ignite your reinvention? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's clear as a bell. I, you know, as late as 2005, I was still touring and playing, uh, trying to tour and trying to play colleges, trying to do their concerts and and uh, and and the little coffee houses and the things that colleges do on campus. Sure. And in 2001, I had voted been voted best solo artist by the by the you know by the campus organizations. And so I felt like I was at the top of my game. And I was a great performer and a great artist. But you know, when you get in your 50s, it's really hard to play for 18 year olds, right. and especially the way the music business changed around then. You remember. Um, you know, pop music, acoustic music kind of went away and we had this real um, onslaught of uh, hip hop and rap. And it's really hard to compete with that. It's a whole, a whole different type of music um, that was really hard for the people who were following that to relate to what I do. And I and I get that, Perfect. but I'm still slugging it out. And I was at a, a college entertainment conference in Houston, Texas, um, APCA, Association for Promotion of Campus Activities. And I had showcased and I didn't do any dates at the showcases, but I was also doing ed sessions on things like, you know, how to do a coffee house on campus or how to promote your events when they come to campus, um, contract negotiation, things like that. I was always doing ed sessions at those conferences to, to help students do a better job on their campus. And uh, Eric Lambert, the director of the organization, came to me. He said, he said, he said, I, I don't know how to tell you this. Is that your educational programs are the highest ranked things at all of our events. But you're not booking dates. He says touring is a young man's game. He says, you, you know, you ought to be a workshop guy. And he turned around and walked off. And it just stung. First of all, I was like, oh, man, you know, I really am aging out of this. But then I thought, a workshop guy, I kind of like that. And the guy that really you know, trusted Eric, me. The I first, can see him he, saying that to you. I can yep. see the conversation happening right in front of me. Uh, yeah. It's really interesting. Well, and one of the first people that really, really uh, uh, helped me with this was Tom Fessel at the University of Akron, who was just a legend in this in this market. And still is. he had, yep, he um, he he booked me to come in to do a program for his uh, his emerging leaders. And he said he, they, they come back early in August before the rest of the campus arrives. And he said, I want you to come in and do your leadership programs on a Thursday afternoon and then play our coffee house Thursday night. And so I did it. And it was a huge success. And they called me up and they said, we can't wait to get you back next year. And we did the same thing next year. And the third year he called me and he said, we can't wait to get you back next year. But this year, don't bring the guitar. We don't have time to do both. And so we'd rather have your leadership programs than your music. Right. And I thought, wow. You know, first I was like, ooh, and then I was like, oh, wow. And I could just I could literally see one door closing and another door opening. I mean, I just had this vision. And I went, oh, that's it. Let me ask this. OK, one door is closing. Sure. One door for anybody watching this who's thinking it's time for me to reinvent myself, was there was there a moment of fear before the yay? Was there a moment of confusion before the clarity? What could the average person watching this today learn from you that they might, we all have different lives. I'm not asking you to be clairvoyant, predict everyone who's right, watching. Right, right, sure. But it sounds like there might be a process that people go through right about the time it's time to reinvent. Well, certainly there's that, you know, there's, there's that, that question, that doubt that you have that, 
that you're doing the right thing always. And and it goes on both ways. It's 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 doubt that you're that you're doing the, the right thing that you've always been doing mm-hmm. and starting to realize maybe it's time for me to do something different. And then trying to figure out whether another door is actually opening or not, you know, because that's a challenge too. Right. I remember one time I was I was on the road and I had a bunch of big gigs booked coming up and somebody broke into my van and stole five thousand dollars worth of sound equipment. You're kidding. And so I oh, just cleaned me out, cleaned me out. And I was on the road in Birmingham, Alabama. And, wow. you know, and then the big question in my mind was, and this is the challenge we always face in these situations is, am I being tested? Right. Or somebody trying to give me a message, you know? And so I had to stop and think, well, which is it? And I, and, and you really don't know. You have to trust your gut and go with it. And so that was the, the same way it was with this reinvention. I had to think about where I was and what I was doing, watching my numbers fall and my income fall, you know, trying to continue to do what I love, uh, regardless of how many times I redoubled my efforts and tried and tried and tried, the things just kept following. And then the new things that, that were opening to me. What's the definition of insanity? Keep trying something the exact same way, but expecting different results, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, Dr. Phil says, um, if you keep doing what you're doing, you keep getting what you're getting. You know, and I love that. It does the same thing. And so I realized I had to do something differently. Right. And so I I, I, I reached out and began to create some some student development programs, some some, some student leadership training programs, put those together and and uh, and began to um to just to put the word out there that this was what I was doing. And uh, uh, the res- the response was just almost immediate and things just really started falling into place because, you know, I had a previous brand. I mean, I had been that out there before. Right. And what I began to realize was all these schools that had booked me all these all these years previously, they liked me and liked what I did. Right. It's just they already they knew you were you were a reliable performer. You right. Changed the way you're performing. And Dell, I'm sure you've become aware of this too over time, but uh, quite often you and I are a week apart, a semester yeah. apart. I'll, I'll notice a poster of yours next to a poster of mine. I'm walking right. walk campus trying to find out whatever room I'm in. I see my poster, there's yours. Or someone will have you one semester, they'll have me the next semester. It's been really interesting that we've played a number of the same schools, uh, but not necessarily at the same time. And I have a question out of the blue for you. You know what I talk sure. about? I, I traditionally talk about dating relationships, romance, sex, asexuality, aromanticism. I do some leadership things and, and team building things, but the predominance of my career has been the dating doctor. There's absolutely times I've been tested on stage. Somebody doesn't agree with something I say or the whole nature of the world right now. For instance, if I was in front of an audience and you raised your hand, I would not say the gentleman in the blue blazer. I'd say you in right. the blue blazer because I don't know that you want to be identified as a gentleman. So some sure. things have changed over time. I've absolutely been tested on stage and I feel like I've been successful when I've been tested. In what you talk about, have you ever been tested? Do you ever notice where you've been forced to take something to another level? because that level has been achieved by your audience? Well, I, I often get questions just like you do. You know, students want to know specifically. Um, and it's, you know, when you're doing a general program, it's hard to be specific because you can't, you, you can't, you know, foresee every, you know, potential situation that students might be in that you could, you could help them with. But I often get this, you know, very specific questions. And, um, and I really, um, 
you know, you really have to, you really have to address those uh, individually as they come down the pike. One of the things that I do, and I'm sure you do, you do the same thing, David, is that at the end of my programs, I always tell the students, you know, consider me a resource. Feel right. free to reach out to me. And almost every day I get an email, I get a text message, I get, a, you know, a DM from a, from a student somewhere saying, Dell, I'm having an issue with this. I'm having a problem. Or what would you do in this situation? Sure. And uh, that just brings me great joy. You know, I don't have all the answers, I'm but I can help my audiences yeah. right at the end. I'll say the the end of this program is the beginning of us. Right. This might be the end of this today. I'm going to come at you. I'll, I'll, I'll give you to myself so that I can give you a second to think about it. But I get asked all the time when I get interviewed or sometimes at the end of one of my shows, someone will just say, hey, give us two pieces of advice. I'm going to give somebody will say to me, David, what's, what's the two pieces of advice everyone needs to hear? Number one, I say never mistake infatuation for love. Okay. Yeah infatuation, your heart begins to palpitate, your palms begin to sweat. They could pass gas. It would sound like a symphony to you. <laughs> when you're infatuated with somebody else, they can't do anything wrong. So number one, never mistake infatuation for love. Number two, the person who loves, cares, or tries the least has all the control in a relationship. The yeah, one who's yeah. making the other person work twice as hard has all the control in a relationship. Are there a couple of things, one, two, three things that you normally tell an audience that you hope stay with them long after you leave that stage? Well, a, a, a couple of things, you know, real quick. First one is to, is to show appreciation. Just let people know how much you appreciate them and what they do and, and to go out of your way. And I teach, you know, I spend, I spend 15 minutes teaching people how to write thank you notes, how to let people know that have that they appreciate that you appreciate them. Because I think it's, uh, I think, being gracious and, and appreciating other people is, is highly undervalued. And another thing I do is, is I, I really encourage students to be kind to each other. You know, we live in a world that's, that's this harsh world where people are always, um, you know, always out for themselves and they're always accusing people of doing other things. And, 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 and I, you know, I, I, I just, I always ask my students, I say, you know, be kind to each other and be kind to other people. Give people the benefit of a doubt. I mean, people will come up to me all the time and say, I can't believe so-and-so said this. I said, well, first of all, you don't know they said that unless you heard them say it. And second of all, you don't know what they're going through because everybody is fighting their own battles, you know? And so I always remember that. And, and really that's just advice. important to that. We will all be kind to each other. There's a couple of words that I feel have been diluted in what we do for a living and possibly diluted in our world. To be One of them is the word leadership. Another one is diversity. Mm. Okay. Sometimes when people don't know what they want to go into in our field, I'm going to talk about leadership. I'll talk about team building. I'm going to motivate people. What makes you and your material different from the average? And you know this as well as I do. If there's you and I talking about leadership, there's 102 more people plus you and I. Right, right. And, and leadership. What makes it different, Dell? What are you sharing? What's your philosophy? How are you actually changing lives? Well, I, I, I give you, I'll give you two, two ways I am. First of all, I am an actual leader, okay? I see a lot of speakers and I look at their resume and I go, what, where have you actually led? <laughs> I mean, I was student body president of my high school you know, when I graduated high school and I had been in a leadership position my entire life to date. I mean, I was, when I was in college, I was a Florida youth chairman for the March of Dimes for two years. Um, uh, you know, I'm currently serving as a uh, president of Florida's Big Bend Scenic Byway. The Big Bend Scenic Byway is Florida's version of uh, their answer to the Blue Ridge Parkway or Route 66, oh. the Pacific Coast Highway. So it's a nationally, 
It's a nationally federally designated scenic byway. Uh, USA Today named it the scenic drive in the state of Florida. So that's a leadership role I'm serving in right now. I've also served on the board of directors of the Council on Culture and Arts, which is, you know, uh, Tallahassee, Florida is a local arts, state designated local arts agency. So I'm, you know, and, and that's just an example. You know, I served on the board of directors of the National Association for Campus Activities. I've served on lots of different boards and I've been in lots of different leadership positions, founded organizations. Um, and, and served in those roles. So I've actually had the experience. And I always tell students, I'll say, one of the things that, that, that you'll find about me is that, that I'm going to give you the information that, that I use every day to run the clubs so and organizations great. that I'm involved with. Yeah. And, and the other thing is my programs are really practical. I mean, it's not, I don't talk about philosophies of leadership and, you know, and states of mind and things like that. I talk about nuts and bolts things. I mean, we talk about the, the life hacker thing. I mean, I actually tell students, how to, you know, how to set up texting programs on their phone so they can stay in touch and stay connected with the other members of their organization. Really basic nuts and bolts stuff. Um, you know, I think leadership, part leadership is inspirational, you know, and motivational in how you present yourself to others. But, you know, let's face it, David, a lot of leadership is just administrative. You know, sure. if you're running a club or organization, you got to keep track of everybody and what everybody's doing yeah. and what needs to be done and, and all. And Especially so you can in use today's world. You can't just Especially. plan the meeting. You can't just plan the meeting. You've got to plan the series of little nudges. You're going to make sure that they know the meeting. By the way, it's tonight. By the way, it's in eight minutes. By the way, you know that. We, we yeah. don't put anything out anymore and say, hope they're going to be there. We know that at some point, we're almost like leadership wake-up clocks. Well, yeah, exactly. I almost feel like sometimes during what we do for a living, we're leadership wake-up services. Don't forget, tomorrow, we're 48 hours away. We're 24 hours away. It's later tonight. It's an hour away. And, and then get people in the room. Uh, I, I love what you're talking about when, when, I, when I do talk about leadership and, you know, I'll get people, you know, so everybody's got a definition. Leadership is influence. Leadership is vision, vision, excuse me, blah, blah, blah. I, I want my leaders to do something. That's why I'm so proud of what you're talking about. I want them to get out there and be a, a, a model of execution and efficiency that inspires other people to reach levels of excellence they weren't sure they were capable of, of achieving. And I, right. I think you do that all the time. For instance, if I'm not mistaken, even though you're still speaking and you have your musical background, aren't you involved in the Grammys in some way? Yes, I actually was. I, I'm a voting member of the Recording Academy. And back in the, in the 1990s, I was actually asked by the, uh, the vice president, the, who was then the vice president of the Recording Academy, to help create the Florida, Florida, the Florida branch which is the initial organization in Florida for the Recording Academy, which very quickly became the Florida chapter. And now is one of the most, most important and influential chapters in the entire uh, Recording Academy. So yeah, I've been, I have been involved with the Grammy Awards for, for 30, 31 years. They just sent me a, 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 a certificate of appreciation for, for, my, for my years of service with the Recording Academy. So yeah, I've been very deeply involved in that and in a leadership role there too. So even, you know, within my, within my artistic career, uh, I, I had, leadership positions and step forward. But, you know, we talk about the definition of leadership. This is my definition of leadership. And this one is the one I carry with me. And the one I always encourage students to carry with them. Leaders inspire others to know, to do, or to be. Okay. Leaders inspire others to know, to do, or to be, because that's what we need to do as leaders. We're not the boss. You know, we can't fire people. We can't run people off. Right. But if, if you're going to be an effective leader, you've got to inspire people to know the things they need to know, to do the things that they need and that you need them to do and, and to be who the best that they can be. You know, Dalton, it's interesting. I, 
I, I knew this was going to happen. Uh, if I'm around you for more than 10 minutes, I start taking notes. Uh, we, oh. we, could, we could be at lunch, you and I, and I keep something nearby because you always inspire me. But we're, again, we're talking yeah. to people today about reinventing themselves. And I think it's fairly right. obvious. I don't think you reinvented yourself. I think you shifted your skills, your motivations and abilities to a new endeavor and a new approach. But they, was always, they were always inside you. And when people, uh, say you're thinking, you know, gosh, people listening today who are going to try and reinvent themselves, they have, to, they have to take a really hard look at who they are and who they're not, what they have skill set wise and what they don't, what their motivation is and what it isn't. If they know those six things, they're probably going to be able to set the course for their new direction. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. And the whole concept of reinvention is, is understanding that you have transferable skills. So you have developed skills in particular areas in your current position, your current occupation, your current uh, life that you're leading. You can use those to go into a different direction and another direction with the whole reinvention concept and move forward there. And so, yeah, you're absolutely right. Reinventing yourself doesn't mean you start from scratch. You know, it doesn't mean going back to tabula rasa and just starting over. It means transferring the of the skills that you have into the into to the new endeavor, looking at within as, as what you can pull out using the skills, maybe the skills that have been uh, subordinate in the past, making those more more dominant and and, and outcoming, um, outgoing, uh, and making those things happen. So yeah, it's it's that's definitely one of the one of the real powers of reinvention is you get you get a chance to do that. That's neat. I'm going to ask you kind of out of nowhere to think back and I. You've had a career, my man. You've had a career. And the neat thing is there's nowhere close to seeing an end in sight, which is also pretty neat. I think last right. week in Hershey, Pennsylvania, I asked her, I said, when do you think you'll stop doing this? And you remember what you said to me? I said, when people stop asking me. When yeah. people stop asking me, stop <laughs> asking me, caring or reacting to it. I think for both of us, we would probably stop right. doing it. Over the course of your career, are there a couple, and I always love to ask my guests this, are there one or two instances people, situations that pop out where you go, wow, or that was a tough one, or I'll give you an example. I was speaking at the uh, NAS Pensacola, Naval Air Station Pensacola, mm -hmm. down there, interested doing that. I'm thankfully going to be getting back into working with the military, but after one of my programs was over, this one, this one soldier waited until the very end. I was packing up. I was, he was one of the last people left in the room, came up with a tear in his eye, asked me, I'm not going to necessarily say what that was, asked me a very serious question about something that had happened to him in his past and whether or not he could ever move forward from it. And would he be allowed to have a relationship with a human, be allowed to have a relationship mm. with another human being because of something that had happened in his past. And it was bawling. I realized that at that moment, I was going to use every ounce of experience and training and education I'd ever had in my life by the end of that 15-minute conversation, gave me a hug, dried up the tears, walked out, and I have a feeling living a pretty decent life right now and proud of himself and probably moving on. Anything as you look back once or twice where a major, you know, a major impact was made? Well, I, you know, I have had some sort of dramatic moments like that myself, but the thing that, that I learned really early on is I had, I had someone reach out to me one time and, and they said, um, you know, you told me some one time and they reeled off something I had said just off the cuff in a conversation with them. And they said, that has been so important to me. And that's just, it really changed my life. And I thought, 
I didn't even remember saying that. But what I learned at that moment and what really sank in was the fact that I need to be aware of what I'm saying at all times with people. Yes. So whenever I'm dealing with 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 people, I try to I try to be um I try to be responsive, but I also try to be um make sure that I don't just throw out something glib just to be funny, which might um might have a, a lasting impact. And I, I am never surprised anymore when I get an email, I get a letter, I get a postcard just out of the blue from somebody. And I, I just got one. And I'll share this with you. I just got Please. this one um, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I just heard from a from a student I met uh, once at um, the University of Richmond, and uh, I, were, I I barely remember talking to the student back. And this was probably 1997, 1998. Mm-hmm. And uh, he he knew that I enjoyed sailing, and he said, you know, I'd really like. Alex says I love being on the water. I'd love to get more involved in in the maritime field and all that. And, and I said. I said, seriously? He said, yes. I'm, and I gave, I gave him a friend's number. I said, call my friend down in the Virgin Islands and see what, what he can do. Well, I haven't heard from this guy since 1997. And out of the blue, just a couple of weeks ago, I got an email from him saying, you won't remember me, <laughs> but this is what happened. And he said, you, 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 this was on the, sh- you said, you did this on the shuttle ride to the airport. Right. And you gave me this. And he said, I call this your friend. And he couldn't the help elevator me. Elevator pitch him the... of leadership training right there. Okay? Exactly. You had <laughs> time on a shuttle bus. Right. And he said, I, he said, I called your friend, but he couldn't help me. But he said, call somebody else. And and that person actually hired me. He said, I left Virginia. I moved to St. Thomas. I worked in St. Thomas for eight years. I got my captain's a license. I became a, a, a full-scale, large-scale maritime operator. He says, wow. I'm now living uh, on the coast of Virginia. He says, and, and I am a, a pilot. So when, when these big container ships come in, they stop at the harbor and my buddy goes out and brings the ship in because that's that his, he is so skilled in that area. What's and he basically important question. When's he flying yeah. to Tallahassee to pick you up to take you to the Virgin Islands? <laughs> right. <laughs> but basically, I go, wow, this you know, this one little ten minute conversation in a in a in an airport mm-hmm. shuttle changed this 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 young man's life, and he's so he's been living the dream day. since then. You do it all the time. You do it every day, and you made me think of one that I'm going to share back. I feel like I'm. Oh, just- great. I feel like I'm talking to a friend today on our podcast. And Absolutely. You are. <laughs> this happened just recently. Uh, we all remember back, many of us remember back to the massacre that happened at Virginia Tech. <clears throat> I had spoken at Virginia Tech about you know, a couple of months before that happened. And one of the things I always tell my audience is because of the world we live in now, look at, look at the news from this past weekend. I always tell people to leave one ear open to the world. What I mean by that is when they're walking around with their pods or they've got headphones over top of both ears and they're playing so loudly that they can't hear the world around them, I don't think it's a good idea. I think we should either play it at a volume we can hear or leave one ear open to the world. This young lady, I was speaking at a conference like we were just at, Dell, and this young lady came up and, and she said, I'm the advisor to this group now and you don't know this, but I think you saved my life. And I said, why? She said, I was going to Virginia Tech when that horrible situation happened. I had heard you speak. You said to leave one ear open to the world. I was about to walk into the classroom where a great deal of that carnage happened. I heard pop, 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 pop. I wasn't sure what it was, but it made me stop and think, and I walked away. So again, I don't know that we ever, she said, by not walking in that building, there is a decent chance that you helped save my life. Do I know that? I have no idea, but 
you're right. It takes an instant to make a major impact. And did that happen to you? Let's, let's flip it. Did anybody use an instant to make a major impact to you uh, that, that shaped who you are? Well, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sure they did. I, I'm, I'm not really thinking of anything off the top of my head right now, but I, but I'm, I, I tend to be very, very thoughtful. I tend to, when, when I hear something from somebody, I seem to, I tend to think of it a lot. I spend a, you know, a pretty fair amount of time, I'll, uh, even more, uh, more time alone uh, back in the day than I, than I get to do now, but spend a lot of time by myself. And when you're by yourself, you have a lot of time to reflect and think about things. And I know people certainly said things to me that I rolled around different ways in my mind to, to look at, you know, the direction I was going, the things I was doing and how that all, how that all comes into play. And, um, and, you know, and, and it's really powerful. I want to share one more quick example of you too. Um, oh. This is back from my, from my music days. I had, I had was doing a concert um, in Jacksonville, Florida. And I'm, I'm, I met a few, uh, you know, after the show, you go to the merch table and I'm autographing some CDs and, 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 and dealing with folks there and I met somebody there and signed her CD or whatever. Six months later, I got a, a postcard with a, with an oyster on the half shell in the front. <laughs> and uh, when I flipped it over, it says, um, I went to your concert and bought your CD and I realized the world really is my oyster. Oh, that's you know, and that I am boundless, which was one of my one of, one of my songs. That I am I am boundless, and uh, she's you know she signed thank you, thank you, thank you, and, and she had mailed this to me from England. You know, but, but it's Most but it's amazing. That's a brilliant marketing campaign. Did you steal it? Did you come out? With, <laughs> World is your oyster. Leadership is your oyster. Music is your right. Because if not, I'm all over it. The second, <laughs> but. So, you know, so it's amazing. We, we do these things and we don't even realize sometimes the impact we've had. And that's the, and that's the power of what we do. But, but on the other hand, there's great responsibility that comes from that too. We've got to always be, uh, always be um, thinking about the things that we're saying and doing so that the people don't take us, you know, uh, in, uh, the wrong way. I ask every guest this question, uh, Del. Uh, again, Paul Jones created the station to bring people closer to God. One song, one tune, one podcast, one show at a time. Did faith play? Does faith play? Has it ever played a role in your life? Oh yeah, I'm a I'm a deeply spiritual person. Um, you know, I've I was a you know I've I've been through the entire gamut of uh, of organized religion. I was born and raised a southern a Southern Baptist, and 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 it. But the thing that drove me away because it was um, you know the the earth the Southern Baptists at the time we were always taught that we were we were just ba- you know patently evil. And we had to constantly be <laughs> repenting and trying to save our souls. And uh, I, I didn't feel very evil. You know, I was just a kid. I didn't really feel like I was, you know, I didn't understand the whole process. And I went to um, church with a friend one time to an Episcopal church. And the most amazing thing happened when I was at that church. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, the priest was a fabulous. I got to know him. I actually converted to that church and 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 became a, a um an altar, an acolyte of the church. And, and so I got to got to work with Father Dave uh, very closely. But the most amazing thing happened. The first time I saw Father Dave pray, he smiled. He was smiling the entire time he prayed. And I thought to myself, wow. You know, you don't see that. That's a that's a real yeah. that's an eye yeah. me. If you think of anyone praying, the thing that the the pictures you've ever seen, or they're on what are they, their eyes are closed, you don't see a smile. Yeah. And Father David, he, and he was full of joy and full of life, and he smiled, and he, and he, he to me, I had been at this church where God was just was just brutal, you know, forced to be reckoned with, and suddenly 
uh, you know, Father Dave made me realize that no, God is out there and he's uplifting and he's happy and he's glad that you're here. And he's, you know, and he doesn't think you're evil. You know, he thinks that you've right. got all the potential in the world. And, he's, and, 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 you know, this force can do anything you want to help you. And so I'm, I really draw on that a lot. I mean, I, I spend a lot of time, you know, in reflection and thinking about who I am and what I do and, and, uh, and, and really, you know, I don't understand religion. I don't understand how, you know, how it all works, but, but that's okay. You know, I've always said, it, you know, if if it, if we had all the facts and it was a, you know, con, you know, it was a foregone conclusion, it wouldn't be called right. faith. You know, it would yeah. just be fact. And so, you know, I, we have to have faith and we have to we have to deal with that. And and that's just a great has always been the great source of strength for me and for and for my family, too. So we all you know, we all have to dig in deep and and and, and to see who we are within. It's so interesting that you say that it's why this particular show and when I when I told Paul I would do this for the station. I said, I'm going to cover great topics. I'm going to have amazing guests. I'm going to put a lot of information out in front of them. I'm going to put highly gifted, spiritual, positive people and let people take that where that takes them in, into a positive nature. And one, one of the things that I notice about you and that I have so much respect for, pretty much every day, you, well, at least a couple of times a week, you post a really interesting quote that makes you kind of stop and ponder for a minute. It might be on leadership. It might be on life. It might be motivational. Some of them are just so clever. And I've noticed that you and your wife have an amazing relationship. You'll post from wherever you're visiting. The two of you, the two of you seem to be incredibly happy. How have you maintained? And a friend of mine named Tracy Knopfler, you might know her. She's I know Tracy, yeah. Nice lady, great speaker. I think she works for the Girl Scouts of America now. And she taught me something a while ago. She said, there's no such thing as work-life balance. She said, it's a teeter-totter. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes work needs a bunch. You get rid of work, you push it off. Then your family needs you. You need some personal time. How have you, a person who has toured, you've basically toured, I'm going to guess, well over 40 years now, whether it was sure. musically or as a speaker, you seem as happy as the day you got married. For anyone watching this who's got a job, that makes them teeter-totter? How have you stayed so grounded, happy, uh, engaged with your own partner? Well, you know, one thing, you, you've got to support each other, you know, and so Denise has always been there for me. I've always been there for Denise, and we are, you know, we were, we truly think of ourselves as a team, you know, partnership when we go through, but then we also appreciate each other enough to give each other space, you know, and I and I'll never forget. You know, I was I was somebody was asking me what to do, and I it was it was talking about the time I spent on the road, and they said, "And your and your wife puts up with that?" And I was like, "Well, <laughs> of of course, that's that's all we've ever known." I mean, we we actually fell in love and became involved with each other when I was just starting to tour. So our entire lives together have been you know have been um, with me being on tour part of the time, and and uh, and and her basically at, at that point was home most of the time taking care of the you know the things that she needed to take care of at home working her job and doing that but the 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 the, um, the greatest part of all that is is that we both developed great support systems just for each other and for and for our friends my wife is in new york city right now um, uh, I, I'm not, <laughs> but she's there with, with, she's there with a good friend and, and she and Linda are, are seeing some plays and, and enjoying, you know, kind of a girl's weekend away. And that's, and that's fine with me. I'm fully supportive of that. I'd say, go, go, go and enjoy. And we'll be there together in a couple of months and we can see, see some, some shows. And so, you know, we travel together, we travel on our own. I, I tour 
mostly without her. And she does some traveling with, with, uh, with, with some of her girlfriends to see other things and other adventures and things. And she's got several different girlfriend groups that she does things with. And so, you know, we've, we've been able to just maintain a wonderful balance in our, in our life because we love each other and we support each other and, and we trust each other. And that's what, now, let that's me share what that this. all comes down to. It's a great trigger for me to share this. <clears throat> when I'm talking to an audience and I get asked about long distance relationships, well, you know, I, I have a quite a bit of information I try to help people with alternate your platforms of communication. One day you phone call, one day you FaceTime. One, and then I'll say, one day you take a day off. They'll look, everyone looks at me shocked. I said, and then I'll say, how many of you have ever walked over to your phone? It was either ringing or vibrating. You picked it up, saw it was your long distance partner. You threw the phone down and went, ugh, my whole audience will raise their hand. I'll go, you're okay. <laughs> if, if a couple can't take one day apart, if they can't say to each other, hey, I got a busy day tomorrow. So do you have a great day. We'll talk Thursday. If they can't spend that day apart, I don't think they can spend a life together. There's, there's gotta be, when we fall for someone else, Del, maybe that's the independence of this other person. There's things we're attracted to. There's, there's a future that we see. There's this wonderful independent person there. And then right. what, what do a lot of couples do? They smother each other. They take away that independence and they wonder what went wrong. You ever seen that? Yeah, I, mean, I, I absolutely agree with you. You know, and I and I, I I've seen that so many times in other people, and that's something that that I've really worked hard to avoid in in our in you know in in my own relationship. And that is that same thing. You you fall for somebody because they're so independent. You know, they're so they stand on their own. And when I first fell for Denise, she was this this you know single college girl working her way through college and and all that. And I thought, wow, this is just an amazing person that I first befriended and then fell in love with. And after we came together as a couple, it was like, we've worked hard to, to maintain our independence. I mean, we're obviously infatuated and, and, uh, and loyal to each other and dependent on each other, but we're also independent. We stand on our own. And I think that's really, really important. It's, it's, it's so sad when you see somebody who gets lost in their partner right? and they, they lose themselves in that person. And you, you, you really lose you lose who you are when when that happens, and so I agree totally. You've got to you've got to maintain that sense of of, of independence, be able to go on your own, to be able to to go with the other person, and then to go without the person too. And 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 I think I learned this early on in life. My father died when I was only four years old, I'm and sure. my mother was only twenty eight years old. And so you she was a father she, at four, your mother at 28. No, my mother was only 28 years old oh, when my father died. Excuse so me. my mother was 28 year, 28 year old woman with two kids. You know, my sister was four years older than me. So she was on her own. And all my life, I knew my mom is this really strong, independent woman. Cause she just, she just, you know, brought it within herself to, 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 you know, to, to take care of us and make things happen. She got a job. She, you know, was, was very successful as a, as a medical office manager and, you know, spent her entire career really being successful and taking care of us. And, and, and it was so funny because it, um, at one point uh, she was passing along some things to us and she gave my sister a stack of letters that she and my father had written to each other back when, uh, when uh, he was sick before, you know, in the couple of years or so before wow. he died. And I was so amazed because I got these, the, I'm reading these letters of my mom, this strong, independent woman. And she's like, um, Carl, I'm sending you some checks to sign. If you'll sign these and send them back to me so I could pay the bills. She was totally dependent on him. Uh, and she didn't become an independent person until afterwards. And that was, I know that was the, the way of the world back at the time. But I thought to myself, I consciously thought to myself, I want to make sure this never happens to my wife. Because if something ever happened to me, Denise would go on 
she would be fine. She would miss me, I hope. <laughs> Again, but she would be fine. Reason I have so much respect for you. And I, I'm going to ask you a question here, and I want to make sure I ask this very correctly and clearly. I am not stereotyping right now. I want to make sure we understand that I'm more generalizing. In my line of work, in a guy who works in relationships, I have often seen men who lose their father at a very early age not turn out to be the quality and character of man that you are on this podcast today and in life. Something helped you become the man you are today, even though you lost your father at a very young age. Can you tell me what that might be? Uncles. My father's brothers stepped up. They loved him so much that they stepped forward. His uh, sister, um, her husband uh, really stepped forward. You know, there's this whole idea that there's, you know, that there no, there, uh, everything in life happens for a reason. Correct. Um, my aunt, who was essentially my grandmother figure because my, my father's parents died um, well before I was born. Um, she um, was the central kind of maternal role in, um, in my life, uh, along with my mother. But amazingly enough, 18 months before my father died, her childhood sweetheart, who had moved away in 1921 and moved to Detroit, worked up north his entire life, retired and came back to our hometown, mm-hmm. found her. And they immediately fell back in love, created a relationship 18 months before my, before my father died. And when my father died, my uncle Lois just kind of stepped in and took me under his wing and became the, became the male influence in my life. And I've always thought, I've always just truly believed, I said, God had a purpose in bringing him back. Uh, and he was there for me when, you know, at that point in my life and, you know, when I, when, uh, I needed a male figure right there. There's so quite a bit uh, you of know, research I, out there, there's quite a bit of research and anecdotal evidence that shows that a love that comes back a love that you thought might've been lost when that comes back, it could be among the strongest loves you can ever possibly have. Have you ever witnessed that? Oh yeah. Well, I, I certainly witnessed that with my, with my aunt and uncle there. I mean, you know, they came back, they had been separated. They had barely even touched base over the years. They both had other spouses and, and, uh, uh, and, and divorced and, and moved on. And they were both living these independent lives. And, but he came back to, to our hometown to, uh, to find her. And he did. And all those years later, I mean, they literally hadn't seen each other for 50 years. Tracked her down. She was seeing somebody else. He stole her away from, from, from him. And uh, they fell in love and they got married. Mm-hmm. And they were just a, a major um, a major influence on my life. They, they, they were basically the grandparents that I, that I never had because my really? mother's, my, my maternal uh, grandmother died really uh, like six months before I was born. And, um, and then my my maternal grandfather died when I was about six, and so um, my uncle Lois was really he was he was he was the he was the he was the man he was the one who stepped forward and and really uh, and and I was really like a son to him in so many ways too because he had never had children, and so we kind of got to got to experience that whole father son relationship together. You know, as we're getting closer to the end of this, uh, I'm going to ask you to put that brain back to you. So go ahead and shake out a minute, take a nice deep breath, <laughs> get some fresh air into your lungs again with the whole theme of reinventing yourself, what I would like you to do, and I'd like, I'm good, you're going to come out of nowhere with it, but I know you're a genius. What are three steps, three concrete steps that people can take to when they hit that spot where somebody walks up and says, you know, it's hard to tour at your age, uh, by the way, you might want to consider your workshops are great. Time to make that switch. 
what's what's a three-step process that somebody can take to at least ignite their reinvention well first of all you got you really got to do an assessment of what what you, tools what tools you have what skills do you have what abilities what your interests are you've got to really sit down and do a solid assessment of that and see who you are what you can do what you want to do then you've got to look at any opportunities that, that might be coming your way. That'd be the second step to find out if there's a market for what you want to do. I mean, we talk, you know, romantically about, you know, and, um, you know, and I don't, I don't want to throw Joseph Candle under the bus and they say, follow your passion and the money will come. Well, that, that's, that sounds good <laughs> you know, when you read it in a book. But the reality is said than done, isn't it? A lot easier. Yeah. Said. It's a lot easier read than done. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, you know, your first step then is to kind of analyze who you are, what you can do, what your interests are. Second of all, you then you've got to analyze um, essentially the marketplace. Is there a means for you to 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 share what your what your passion is? Is there a way that you can find a way to, to reach out and 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 create that? And then the third step is if you you've just got to do it. You know, the journey of a thousand miles begins with the first step. At some point, you've got to you've got to trust yourself. You've got to trust your gut. You've got to You've got to do the legwork, but you've got to step forward and say, all right, this is what I'm going to do. And then, and this go at it full bore and, and believe and believe. So a serious self-assessment, almost like a SWOT analysis, a SWOT analysis, what are your strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats? So you got to assess right. your, number two, what's possibly available. Number three, freaking do it. And yeah, absolutely. I think in Hershey, you might've met my friend who came, uh, my friend, Sir Evans, who's also a speaker. Yeah, I met Sir. Yeah. Great young man. And. He was once 549 pounds. Now he's 250 pounds. And he does a talk called the first pound. You're not going to lose the 270 that he lost without losing that first pound. And you're saying no reinvention is going to take place unless you assess really, truly. That's going to be a hard one, Dell. Yeah. Somebody's got to take a look and go, here's who I am. Here's what I got going on. Here's what I don't. Here are the opportunities out there. Okay. Today, I wake up an hour earlier. I get myself going. I get out there. I beat the bushes. I send that email. I go talk to that person in person. It's going to take an actual plan that they then implement. Is that correct? Absolutely. That's absolutely correct. And it, it's always that first step that is the most daunting. You know, it's actually, it's actually, you know, buying into it and saying, okay, I, this is what I can do. This is what I love to do. This is what I want to do. Um, and this is what it takes to do that. But at some point, you got to get up off the couch and actually do it. And by the you way, know, it's I'm like doing this other thing my entire life. So, you know, instead of instead of looking at it as something to be afraid of, what about having it be an exciting moment? People say, David, how can you stand for people and talk? It's because when I look out at my audience, I don't fear them. I look out and I try to take energy from them. What, what people don't realize about what you and I do for a living, <clears throat> our audience wants us to be good. They're rooting for it. They're not sitting there going, God, I hope you suck so I can blow you up on social media. They want us to do well. And so instead of looking at the future with trepidation and fear, I would hope that people would go, what a great chance to reignite my life in a different direction. Every day needs to be a joy. You know, you need to, and, and you need to make a conscious choice. I mean, I talk to students all the time about choosing to be happy and they go, well, what does that mean? It, it means actually making a conscious choice to be happy. And you could do that. You know, we people say, well, I'm just, every single day. No, we choose yeah. our attitude every day. 
attitude is everything too. And so, you know, we, we have to, we have to condition ourselves to do that. We have to condition ourselves to wake up and, and, and be in a good mood. I always tell people, wake up. First thing you should do when you wake up is go to the mirror and smile, make yourself smile for 30 seconds. It tell actually makes endorphins start to flow. No, tell people yeah. about <laughs> Well, I found this wonderful setting on, on a, a Samsung camera I have. It's a, I call it a selfie camera because it's actually got a screen in the front. So you can do selfies with it. But the thing I love about it is it's got a setting, which I have uh, activated on it that it actually takes your picture when you smile. So you can hold the camera up and you can just, you know, make any kind of face you want. But when you actually smile, it fires the camera. And I just love that. And students love that too. And I, we, Dave and I, we got a picture together last week in, uh, in Pennsylvania and we did that. And it's, mm-hmm. and it's just, it's the most, in a lot of ways, it's really gratifying because, you know, you realize that something happens when you smile. And this camera takes a picture, but other things happen in your life when you smile also. So it's right. a, it's a, it's a really one of those powerful tools you can have in your interpersonal toolkit. So far in this interview, I think we can see what a kind person you are. Uh, you've got your act together. You're brilliant. You're humble. One of the sweetest people I've known. So we've gotten all that out. Now you can look at me and go, no, if you want to practice that, go ahead and do it. Three, two, one. No, but we haven't gotten your musically yet. You want to do 30 seconds or a minute of something for us musically live? Well, I'll share this with you real quick. This is a copy of my very first, I don't know if you can see that or not, my yeah, very first uh, album. It's kind of hard to see. It's kind of blending hold it, in. Hold it real bit. still so it doesn't disappear. There you go. Yeah. So this is this is an actual an actual album that I did. Real back then? That was yeah, real? Yeah, <laughs> still, yeah. So I've had, you know, I've had an entire career, multiple CDs that have done over the years and stuff. So I've got, you know, a lot, a lot of stuff there. You, you mentioned this is something I'm really, really proud of. When I first started playing music, I was doing, uh, you know, kind of a folk music sort of thing. But if you call it folk music, people thought always oh, like a protest singer. He's going to be like we do a Dylan. And then, you know, that can't help this. It's just somebody sitting around <laughs> singing Dylan all night. And so I, I came up with this term I called salt water music because I grew up on the beach and the song was writing the songs about you know, living at the beach, sort of the Florida fantasy, you know, about the mm-hmm. um, the things that same sort of things that Jimmy Buffett was at that point was just starting to write about also. Sure. And, uh, and so I was calling it saltwater music and it's had different names through the years, but now it's actually sort of gelled maybe 15 years ago behind this term called tropical rock, trop rock. And one of the things I'm most proud of is that this book came out called a uh, trop rock stories and songs uh, written by uh, Andrew Forsyth. And this was published in, in 2011. And uh, there's actually a chapter in there on me. And I've been hailed as one of the pioneers of, of trop rock music. You know, before there was before there was Zach Brown, before there was Kenny Chesney, there was uh, there was Jimmy Buffett and there was Del Suggs and a few other folks doing this, this kind of music. So I'm, I'm just really, really proud of that. What's neat, Del, is I think all of us hope to leave a legacy. Yours is a cornucopia of legacy. When you're when we pour it over, your speaking legacy falls out, your musical, you're just being a kind person. And, uh, one thing I'll do before we I try to do this on every podcast is give my guest a chance to ask me anything they might want to ask me. So this scares me a little bit to flip this to you. <laughs> uh, and then we'll let people know how to reach you and uh, we'll call it a day because you've been fabulous. Is there anything I can answer that you might want to ask me? Well, well you've had a, you know, you've had a long and fascinating career also, David. I mean, I remember, you know, when you were um, in, in, in student activities on the college campus. And you became a, a speaker and then you became a, the, the most highly recognized and successful speaker in the entire market. You're a speaker that the rest of us have all patterned, tried to pattern our career after. But uh, um, you've just been hugely successful in this market. You are the definition of uh, 
of a campus speaker. Uh, you were you were the if you look up college speakers, there's a picture of David Coleman on you know Wikipedia right there. There might be a picture of both of us with Barry Drake. (laughs) Yeah, with yeah, with Barry Drake also. Um, and now you're doing this podcast. I I, you know, I'm just kind of curious what what's what's in the future for you? What are you looking at doing next? That's really interesting. I was talking to the guy who started this whole situation, Paul Jones, and uh, I think we see this heading pretty deeply into the world where we're in 165 nations now, and in the last month or so, picked up another 50,000 regular listeners. And I think there is an opportunity that I would travel less, but impact more people. Now, you and I both love to travel. We love to speak. But at some point in time, our bodies are going to say, oh, no, no. <laughs> that, that extra 100,000 miles next year is going to be. So where do I see it going? Uh, I've also started to train people on their relationship, coach people on relationships, coach people on better being better public speakers. I would hope that in the future, one third of my year is actually out speaking. One third is coaching and one third is impacting people on a much larger scale doing this. Thank you for that. Oh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. That's, that's a great question. Any last things you might want to say? First of all, other than going, they can go to bootleggersmusic.com and, and they can go to our app and download the app and go to the website and reach you. There's a spot. And uh, this will this will run live next Wednesday at 4 and 9 p.m. Eastern Standard. And then it will go into the past talks. It will go on Spotify. It will go on YouTube. How can people reach you who might want to reach you directly? Well, uh, two simple ways, you know, first of all, I'm, you know, you know, basically online, I'm all over and easy to find online. Um, you can go to my music webpage, which is saltwatermusic.com, or you can find, go to my leadership page, which is delsugs.com, and I'm easy to find there. Uh, I'm on Instagram, I'm on you know, Facebook, I'm on Twitter, um, you know, so the, your typical social media feeds too. So I'm pretty easy to find. I always get tickled because I get the I get the junk mail. I'm sure you do too, David, from, from folks trying to increase my... Um, uh, my my SEO score, you know, and they say we've been to your website and it's not showing up very highly on Google. I'm going, really? <laughs> have you have you searched for me? Because if you search for me on Google, I, my website will be the first one that pops up. <laughs> sure. So uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm confident you can find me if you if you reach out. Yeah. Before I let you escape, what's your future hold? Well, I am. Uh, I've got some more books left in my future. I've got some more uh, some some more CDs. I'm uh, I'm, I'm writing and, and uh, recording some new music. Uh, I've got a couple of new books in the works also, um, and continuing to tour and and do what I love uh, really for the rest of my life. That's awesome, Del. Thank you. Thank you for an hour of your time. Thank you for uh, what you do every single day, not only for your audiences but <clears throat> for those of us who are lucky enough to call you a friend or that you've impacted our lives. It's it's so funny as, as you talked about that little trip with a van, the person's now a captain and a pilot. I honestly think you do that anytime someone walks by your side, you don't even know it. So thank you for the time today. Uh, we appreciate you. Thank you, David. It's always a joy to visit with you, my friend. Thanks for joining us today. It's been David Coleman and Del Suggs here on Bridging the Gap on Bootleggers Music Group Radio. See you next time.